Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message, and we pray that it brings you closer to Jesus. My name is Dominic Farone. I grew up in North Louisiana, spent some time in Oklahoma, roundabout Florida, and now God has brought me back here. Back to the swamps and mosquitoes and very cool people. I've got a beautiful wife. She's floating around. If you haven't met her yet, you need to. She's way cooler than I am. And I've got an amazing son. He is just now two years old. He is also Dominic. He's number three. Actually, he's kind of four. Another conversation later. I call him the spawn of Dom. He's a pretty good guy. He's got gorgeous eyes, and he's a lot of fun. He's learning like crazy. Uh... I'm excited to be here. You guys are awesome. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence. I pray that you will just shut down any words that aren't yours that are coming out of my mouth. And that you'll just open my mouth with your words. Please, Lord, let me be your hands and feet. Anoint me to just read your words. And I pray that you'll anoint all of us to receive. Make us fertile soil. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, tonight I decided to have a little fun. We're, the title for tonight is Batgirl versus Wonder Woman. I thought that was kind of interesting. Is that at least coming like, what is he talking about? Come on, a little bit of mystery there? So I wanted to compare these two uh, DC heroes. Yeah, okay. The design team got together, and they're working on Batgirl's motorcycle, and somebody at the table said, we need a big yellow bow on the back. Like, really? You see that over there? There's a yellow bow on her Batgirl-mobile. Anyway, so I wanted to, let's compare and contrast these two, just some of their background. I haven't seen the most recent Wonder Woman, so I'm not up on the new lore if they added anything new to her. Uh, But this is kind of like their their history and what I know about them. So let's just do some real quick comparisons. Uh, first, Batgirl. She was initially created as Robin's love interest. That's Batgirl. She was bring her on as a pretty face and it created a little romantic tension with Robin. Pretty easy. Now, Wonder Woman, she was this kind of like Herculesian, like half goddess, daughter of some Greek god, whatever, raised by the Amazons by a tribe of powerful women. Now, Batgirl, her power comes from who she hangs out with. She hangs out with Batman and Robin. And she also has lots of cool gadgets and a weird gold bow on the back of her motorcycle. Wonder Woman's power comes from who she is, the strength that she carries, who she was raised to be. Batgirl, she hides her true identity behind a mask. No one knows that it's, well, depending on what comic you're looking at, there's like four different Batgirls, but... Wasn't she like Gordon's daughter or something like that? doesn't matter. Wonder Woman faces the world with her own face. She presents herself with authenticity. Now, Batgirl was often used as a plot device that they would have to come and save her. Like half the time in the old, like, na-na-na-na-na-na-na, that TV show, Batgirl was like chained to a wall or to a chair or something, and Batman and Robin would have to like break down the door and come and save her. Bam, da-da, splat, da-da, 
Did y'all watch that old show? Because you're totally missing out if you haven't watched that show. In the Batmobile, they had to put it in fast forward because they could only do like 20 miles an hour, you know, for the opening credits. Wonder Woman was actually created during World War II at a time when the idea of women was always the damsel in distress. The women are needy and they need a big man to come and save them. And Wonder Woman actually counteracted that culture as a woman who is powerful and could get herself out of scraps. She could take on the bad guys all by herself. So with Batgirl, I always kind of ask the question, does she really deserve kind of her status as a hero? Or is she just kind of the girl who's, do I actually write this up there? I did, the rich boy in long underwear. Versus Wonder Woman, who's confident, she's self-assured, she's empowered, and she is dangerous to the bad guys. It's an interesting comparison to look at these two characters. Batgirl is powerful based on what she has, her friends, her gadgets. Wonder Woman is powerful because of who she is. I find that very significant. Turn your Bibles if you have them, or you can look on the board, to Matthew 20. We're going to start in verse 20. And it's, we're going to compare. I think, I think Matthew did this on purpose. He gives us two stories kind of juxtaposed, to use a fancy word. And I think we're supposed to contrast these happenings. All right, ready? Verse 20, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. Uh, her sons were James and John, Jesus' disciples. He said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized? They said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit at my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. First of all, I think it's weird that they had to get their mom to do it. And they're like, or she, I guess, comes to Jesus. Jesus, Whenever you're all rich and powerful and you've conquered Rome and you've done all these things, is it cool if my sons sit in the most powerful seats in the whole kingdom on your left and on your right? That's a big ask. It's kind of brazen. And Jesus is like, God, you don't, I don't think you understand what you're asking. For you to have a place in my kingdom of authority, then you have to make yourself the lowest. You have to sacrifice the most. Hey, there's my bookmark. Are you going to be able to drink the cup that, I can, that I'm going to drink? That cup of self-sacrifice? Of giving your life away? Maybe even to death? Jesus drank a pretty scary cup. And they say, yes, just like two boys. Absolutely, we can do anything. Now let's look at the story. And I want to, this is followed up immediately by another story. And this is talking about two blind guys. Verse 29, now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called to them and said, what do you want me to do for you? Same question. 
What do you want from me? What do you want me to do from you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. So the next story is Jesus coming in like the city gates on the donkey and all the crowds are yelling Hosanna. And the very the next story after that is Jesus drives the, the cattle out of the temple. Remember, he flips the tables over and he runs around with a whip like a madman. Like, that's my Jesus. And they followed him as in the first visions they get to have are these incredible stories of Jesus's passion. That gets to be what they see. Their first sight is the face of Jesus. And then they get to lay their robes on the ground for Jesus to ride his donkey over them. That's them. These are no longer nameless people in the crowds. We know some of them. And Jesus asked them the same question. What do you want from me? I want to compare these guys, just like we compared Batgirl and Wonder Woman. For one, we got James and John had their mom ask. That's awkward. Come on, James and John. The two blind guys, they called out loudly for him. And when the crowd tried to shut him up, they cried out even more out of this heart of desperation. James and John, their request was for status. These guys, they just wanted help. They recognized their need. They recognized their brokenness. James and John, their question was out of this heart of advancement. We want to be better. We want more power. We want more status. We want to advance. And these blind men, their question is out of a need, out of this contrite spirit at the feet of Jesus. And they followed him from then on. That's amazing. I wonder if they got to see Jesus on the cross. I wonder if these two guys are some of the people that Jesus visited after he rose from the grave. I think so. I don't think that's tough to imply because they followed him for the rest of his ministry. If we take on kind of that Batgirl complex that we anchor our identity in what we have, that's what, that's what most people do. We anchor identity maybe in our talents. I'm a really good football player. I'm a really good artist. Maybe we anchor identity in the family that we have. I come from a, noble, a great family, well-known, you know, anchors in the community. Maybe we anchor our identity in, I don't know, popularity, letterman jackets, I don't know. But these have some pretty big pitfalls, and I want to point out two of them that I see as huge pitfalls. If we're going to have the Batgirl complex... And we're going to see ourselves, I'll just get there. The first one is the mask. Remember she was the one who wears the mask? Of having it all together. Putting on this front that everyone looks at me and says, man, he's good. And and they just think the best. Man, everything's working out for him or her. She's so pretty. You know, they just have everything going for them. And we put on this mask that we have it all figured out. And what's scary is behind this mask, we're alone. Because nobody really knows the real us. And whenever we wear this mask of having it all together, it shuts out an opportunity to heal. It shuts out an opportunity to build strong relationships because we're trying to keep people at this arm's length. 
because we're trying to have this status. It makes us ingenuine. It makes it difficult for anyone to truly, fully know us. And you know what? Here's the scariest part. It rejects Jesus from working on us. Because as long as we come before God going, I got it all together, then that puts up this wall where God can't say, I want to do work in you. I want to chisel away the things that are not of me. That brokenness that you have, I can't put it back together unless you'll open up to me. I got it all together, God. I'm good. The other pitfall that I see is the lone wolf mentality. And if we're going to kind of get like Christianese, it's called works theology, where everything is on me. If I succeed, it's on me. If I fail, it's on me. My salvation, I got to earn it. I got to be good enough. I, I can't come to Jesus yet because I got to get my life cleaned up first. This, this works theology, this lone wolf syndrome. You know what? Why it's scary? Because if I succeed and I did it, it builds pride. And if I fail and I did it, then I'm worthless and I'm a failure. And if I think I earn my salvation, then I just got to be really, really good and I'll squeak in. And you know what's so scary is this rejects the very heart of why Jesus died on the cross. If we say, Jesus, I got to earn my salvation, and Jesus bled so he could give it to me, I am slapping him in the face because he gave it all because he knew I couldn't ever earn it. He says that my best goodness on, the, on my very best day. Oh, holy me. And I've got showered and I got the mask on on my very best day. My righteousness is filthy rags like you wipe yourself with. That's what the Bible compares them to. That's as good as I can get. And Jesus looked at me and said, he ain't going to make it. And loved me enough that he was willing to plead. And he loved you enough that he was willing to bleed. And so for you to go, God, I'm good. I'm just going to have to work my way there, rejects the very heart of the gospel that I'm not good enough. And so God loved me enough that he stepped out of heaven and sacrificed himself for us. So who are we? You can ask yourself the question tonight. Who am I? Let's talk about identity. Who am I? in the big scheme of things. Who am I when I'm walking the streets? I'm in the school hallway. Who's this person? How do I fit? I want to start with looking at where we come from. And it's so simple. It goes all the way back. I don't think it's on the board, so you just have to pay attention. It goes all the way back to the very beginning of who God made us to be. Remember Wonder Woman? She's powerful because of who she is where she comes from. You go all the way back and you find it in Genesis. Oh, it's going to take me a while to find it. Bear with me. Ah, hey, there it is. This is what Jesus says about his creation. <laughs> so good. Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. <laughs> that should blow your mind. Like, <laughs> You're not an animal. God made us different from everything else that he made. Here in a second, I'm going to read it. He's going to say, every other time when he created something, he said, this is good, this is good, this is good. And at the end of this, he's going to say, and this is very good. 
because the pinnacle of God's creation, his ultimate masterpiece, the best that he put together was us, was you and me. All right. Then God said, let us make man in our image. We reflect who God is. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air and over every living thing that lives on the earth. And God said, see, I've given you everything. I'm going to skip down in verse 31. Then God saw everything that he made and indeed it was very good. That's where we come from, y'all. We didn't just evolve. We didn't crawl out of any sea or mud or whatever. We were created with purpose. We were created with image, the image of God stamped on us. Romans 8, 14 is another great thing. It talks about who we are. Oh, it's rich. Are you all ready for this? This is Paul, and he's talking about, ah, I want to go into this. I really want to dig into this, but, oh, there's the time. Okay. You got me for a while, so we'll, I'll, I promise we'll dig into this passage sometime soon. It's going to blow your mind, but bear with me. Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, as in Daddy. That's like the intimate name between a child and its father, Abba. Think about it. That's kind of the first thing a kid says. I, I got a two-year-old. The first, he was, Abba, Abba, Abba. That was him. We cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. Y'all, that's good stuff. Okay, in case any of you guys haven't put this together yet, I got a fun story. One of my old teachers, uh, Dr. Smith, he and his wife adopted a child uh, I don't know, it was some Asian country, it doesn't matter. And they brought him home. And that night, they're having their first dinner together, and they had KFC, big bucket of chicken. I hope it was spicy. And they noticed this kid, because he came from this third world, like didn't have any money where he was coming from. And they're, you know, they all have the, the chicken around or whatever, and he's eating, and, and Dr. Smith suddenly hears this crunching sound. And he looks up and he sees that this kid has finished his first piece of chicken and he was chewing the bone to get the marrow out because that's all he knew. And Dr. Smith took a piece of chicken out of the bucket and put it on his plate and then immediately took another piece of chicken and put it on his plate. And soon he had transferred all the chicken onto the kid's plate and the kid's sitting there like, it's Christmas, right? And Dr. Smith leans in and he goes, you're my son now. You see that refrigerator over there? It's yours, anything in it. Everything in this house now belongs to you because I put my name on you. Yeah. 
So when God is saying, by the spirit of adoption, I have called you sons and daughters so that you may call me daddy. It is God going, it's yours. I made you joint heirs with Christ of the kingdom of heaven. Everything that I have to offer, every good thing that I've got, I lay this at your feet and in your lap. Will you take it? Or are we too busy going, I'm good. I got this. I'm good enough. I'll get myself there. I'm sorry. You can't have all of me because I need to hide behind this mask. That is our God, and that is the God who gave everything so we could be close to him. We are on the other side of a chasm that we would never reach, and God loved us so much that he gave his son so that anyone who would believe in him could have life with him. That's the God we serve. That's the God that we're going to celebrate and we're going to elevate. Ooh, I didn't mean for that to rhyme. Yay. So where does it begin? We begin like those blind guys. We're not looking for status. We're coming out of a need, out of a recognition of absolute desperation and being lost. And we come to the feet of Jesus and go, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I'm nothing. Amazing Grace says, I'm a wretch. I need you to make the difference. We recognize our need. We recognize our hopelessness. And I skipped over a chunk in Matthew that I wanted to go back and read. It's all about after James and John. (laughs) And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Verse 25. But Jesus called them to himself. He says this. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you guys. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We come to God in this attitude of, I am yours. You have my service. You have all of who I am. I sacrifice my future, my dreams, my goals, my talents, everything that I've got, everything that you gave me, I lay at your feet as my offering and my sacrifice. Do with it what you want. I'm yours. And then Romans 8, if you went back and read it again, it would say, it talks about how we start out as slaves. We give it all to God, and God makes us sons and daughters, joint heirs with Christ. That's the God we serve. In the last verse, so Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. You really think that the Bible that was written so beautifully really just leaves it, I wasn't planning on going, really just leaves it as physical sight that Matthew's trying to hint at here? I think Matthew was going for this multi-level like thing And he's wanting us to have our eyes opened, too. To see that Jesus is not a point of status. He's not some sort of ploy to get bigger or famous or image or whatever. But we have our eyes open to recognizing our need and recognizing his goodness, his grace, his faithfulness. Guys, this is the God we serve, y'all. I love it. You see... God defines us. He molds us into a people of love. 
into a people of righteousness, into a people of holiness, and a people of servanthood, and a people of his kingdom. Whenever you wonder, who am I? You need to realize you're part of something bigger than yourself now. Don't have a dream that's only big enough for you. Come on, have a vision for something beyond you, I'm telling you. Because the world is dying, and it's going to hell, and it's going into darkness, and they're lost, and they have no idea that they are. And they need someone to show them light. Ah, again, I didn't mean to go here. Okay, so we went spelunking one time. Spelunking like caving. You crawl through the caves. There's only two places on this entire planet that you can be in absolute darkness. They're in the caves and they're at the bottom of the ocean. Are y'all ready for this? This is so cool. So in the caves, you turn out of all the lights and you wave your hand in front of your face and you swear you can see your hand. You're sure of it. I mean, it's, I see the outline of my hand. And our guide one time said, guys, you know what that is? Your, your eyes are straining so hard and your mind and your brain is functioning so overtime trying to see it that it actually creates the image of your hand. And it guesses about the area that your hand would be as you're moving it. Guys, the world is in darkness, and they swear they can see. They swear they can. They understand what they're a part of. They think they have it figured out, and they need light to come and show them that they're lost. They're in this cave. They're bumping into walls, and they're, they're, they're dying. And the light, when it comes, is going to have one of two effects on them. One, they're going to see the light and embrace it and go, I can, I can see, I can get around. Or two, it's going to hurt their eyes, and they're going to reject it. But you know what? We're called to be the light. We are called to be salt and light of Jesus, not our own light. Like the moon, we reflect the sun. We are God's light, and we have a job to stand and be a beacon, and they're either going to accept it or reject it. But it doesn't matter. We are called to be a light. Okay, backing up. So who are we? We're a part of something greater than ourselves. First Corinthians, oh, this is so good. Are you ready? First Corinthians 6 says, we are not our own. We are bought with a price. We are holy temples where the Holy Spirit dwells. Holy Spirit dwells in you. Romans 8 says, we are children and heirs. Ephesians 2 says that we are masterpieces, his workmanship. Psalm 139 says that we are formed in the womb. He formed our inward parts. Before we knew him, he knew us. And the last, I want to read this because this is so cool. 1 Peter 2, 9. I got to find Peter. There you are. 1 Peter 2, 9. Ah, so good. Y'all ready? Because I'm talking about who you are. You got to let this sink in. <laughs> but you are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. I got to turn the page. I lost my place. That's so awesome. <laughs> you're a holy nation. Y'all, you're a holy nation. Are you living it? Because God called you that. You are that. And if you're not, it's because you're making a decision not to be. God has made you holy. His own special people. Yeah. I'm going to read those again because I don't want you to miss this. You're a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him. See, it's not just about us. Again, we're part of something bigger. 
that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Ooh, the cave thing worked well there, didn't it? Totally didn't plan that. That's the God we serve, y'all. So what does this make us? This makes us filled with the Holy Spirit. It makes us forgiven. It makes us loved. We're given a purpose. We're a part of something bigger than ourselves. Like Wonder Woman, we're called to take off our mask and show ourselves, show Jesus through ourselves. Like Wonder Woman, we're called to be dangerous to a world of sin. We're called to be people of freedom, of value, of authenticity. I want to read the lyrics to this really cool song, uh, Casting Crowns. They're all youth pastors. You know that? The whole band is a youth pastor and youth leaders, and they intentionally travel on dates when they're not holding youth services. So they, like, leave and come back every week. Like, that's cool. I don't even like listening to them, but that's cool. <laughs> this is one of their amazing songs. Who am I? Y'all know this? Try not to sing it as I'm talking. That the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt, who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light my way from my ever-wandering heart? Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. You see, who we are is defined by who he is. I'm a, I'm a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow a wave tossing the ocean, a vapor in the wind. Still, you hear me when I'm calling. Lord, you catch me when I'm falling. And you've told me who I am. I'm yours. It doesn't matter what goes on. This week may be terrible for somebody in here. Something may go totally sideways and wrong this week. it's not about who we are anymore. We are his. You know what? If we are his, you know what that means? That means he's with us and he's near us through that. We're no longer alone. When, we're, when it's dark and we can't sleep at night, we're no longer alone. He's with us. Jesus says, I'm not leaving you. I'm going to send a comforter, the Holy Spirit. That guy, the one who lives in us, making us the temple. We're never alone. He walks with us. We are his. And he gives us a drive and a purpose and a hope. So three last questions that I have for you. How would you be different if you saw yourself the way Jesus sees you? How? How would you live your life if you actually saw yourself as a masterpiece? How would you live your life if you knew, you just knew that God was your dad? How would you live differently? We live without fear. What would my life be like without fear? Question number two, how would you treat others if you saw them the way Jesus sees them? You know that one person that annoys you like so much? Jesus says that how you treat that person is how you treat him. You know when your mom really ticks you off? 
how you treat her in that moment is what you're doing to Jesus and what you're saying to him. What if we treated people the same as Jesus would treat them? Because we see them through the eyes of God as creations of God with his image stamped on them. We'd stop categorizing people pretty fast because everybody would be in the category of our neighbor. And so with that, I got to ask you, who, you need to, who do you need to love this week? Who do you need to be a light to? Take a minute, close your eyes for a second. Everybody, leaders too. Can you play the piano with your eyes closed? You don't have to, it's okay. Close your eyes. All right, hold a fist up in the air. Everyone hold a fist up. Cool, cool. That's not a fist, it's a rock on sign. Yes, I'm with you. Now I want you to think of three people. I see that peace sign. I want you to think of three people in your mind that you need to love this week. Pick the hard ones. And I want you to give me a one, two, and three as you think of those names. So you're not gonna go three all at the same time. One, two, three, as you think of names. And I wanna pray while you're thinking. Come Holy Spirit. Teach us to love the way you loved. Teach us to embrace people the way you did. <laughs> if you can hug someone with leprosy, we can have a conversation with the person that annoys us. Lord, it's not about me anymore. It's not about any one person anymore. It's about your kingdom. It's about the loss. It's about the people that are hurting right now, that are so confused and they just need someone to love them, to show them who you are. Thank you for your salvation. I didn't deserve it. If you've got your three, you can put your hand down or the Vulcan sign. Thank you very much for that. Lord, we surrender like those blind men. We come to you in our need and we commit to follow you.